There's a common belief in today's world that if you are really in the center of God's will, that your life should be relatively trouble-free and smooth. Uh, sometimes this is called the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you are following God wholeheartedly, he will make you prosper. Now, I want to be very clear at the beginning that, that this is not a biblical view. And, and many of us know from our own experience that even when we try to follow God wholeheartedly and faithfully, that we still face challenges in our lives that we would not write into our master plan of how our life would turn out if we could have it our way. Many of us face these plan B situations that, you know what, we really just don't like the way that things are turning out, or we have these dreams that we want to turn out in a certain way, but, but they aren't turning out. Maybe it's a dream about wanting children, but we aren't having children. Maybe it's a dream that we want to be married, but for some reason or another that marriage is not coming along. Maybe it's a dream or desire to be promoted in our work or to make a little bit more money. That's not happening. Or to be respected by family or by friends or by our boss. But we're not getting the respect that we want. Maybe it's that we just want a little bit more money in order to pay the bills a little bit more easily. Or maybe even to be able to afford that cabin up north. The reality is, as we're going through life, we all have various dreams and desires and wishes that don't turn out quite the way we want them to. We, we know from experience that, that life isn't always easy, even when we're trying to follow God faithfully. And so, so we, we reach this point where it's a bit of a challenge to wonder, what is God up to here? Why are things turning out like this? I'm trying to follow God faithfully. I think I'm in the center of God's will. But am I really, as I look at my circumstances around me? Well, that's the topic we're looking at this morning, of, of what does it really mean to be in the center of God's will? And how do we tell what God's will is when we look at the circumstances around us that seem to contradict what our desires are. One of the things I think is important for us to recognize is that sometimes those plan B situations that we never would have desired if we could plan, make the master plan for our own life, sometimes those plan B situations are exactly where God wants us to be in order for Him to work in us, to refine our character in the way that He wants to and to help us fulfill the mission that He is calling us to. Sometimes that plan B situation is right in the center of his will. Today we're continuing our series called Plan B. It's a series that's studying the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. The uh, life of Joseph is a pretty amazing story of ups and downs and, and broken dreams, but, but things that, come, that God works out in Joseph's life that are just simply mind-boggling. It's a pretty amazing story. And we started it last week, and this week we're continuing this, this story in the sermon series so that we can find hope in the middle of our circumstances that are less than what we would desire them to be. These plan B circumstances in our lives. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 39. So I invite you to uh, turn your Bible to Genesis 39. If you didn't bring a Bible but would like to follow along, uh, there's one in the pew or the chair in front of you that you can use. Last week uh, we started looking at the life of Joseph when he was 17 years old. At that point things were going really, really well for him. He had his father's favor. Um, he, was, he had blessings lavished upon him by his father. He had these dreams from God that seemed to show that Joseph was going to have it made in the future, that all of his brothers and the rest of his family were going to bow down to him, that he was going to be elevated in some way or another. But then his dreams came crashing down as his br brothers turned against him. First they were plotting to murder him, and then they said, well, why don't we just sell him to these slave traders, make a little bit of money off of him? So that's where we left off last week, where Joseph is going down to Egypt 
a, a land where he'd never been before, a culture that he didn't know, a language he didn't know. He was being taken down into Egypt by slave traders to become an ordinary slave. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. But as we prepare ourselves to look into the story further, to learn how we can live faithfully to God in the midst of our plan B situations, will you please pray with me? Our Father, we recognize that we face many situations in our lives that are less than desirable. Uh, These are things that may keep us up at night, just worrying about what's going to happen. They may stress us out. They may bring us to tears, wondering, God, why is this happening? They may just frustrate us over time, wondering, why is this taking so long to be resolved? Lord, we all face those situations at various times in various ways. And I pray this morning as we look into Genesis 39, that you will help us to see how we can live faithfully to you, even when we are in the midst of those situations that we really don't like. God, please have your way in us through this time this morning and equip us through this time so that we will live faithfully to, you, faithfully to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to pull out three main points that we can really remember and implement in our lives when we're facing difficult circumstances. And the first thing is found in uh, verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 39. So I invite you to follow along as I read Genesis 39 beginning in verse 1, where it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, The captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now the thing I want to point out here is that Joseph is definitely in what could be called a plan B situation. I mean, there's really no other way around it. I mean, if you think about what Joseph's master plan for his life would have been, I I doubt that Joseph ever could have imagined in his master plan for his life that he would be sold into slavery and taken down to this foreign land called Egypt. It was definitely a, a bit of a plan B situation. But we see here very clearly that Joseph's plan B situation was God's plan A for Joseph's life. And this is something that we can think about in our own lives too, that many times our plan B situations are oftentimes God's plan A for our lives. Maybe not always, we'll get into that in a few moments, but many times when we face a situation that is less than desirable, that we would call a plan B situation, it's actually God's plan A for what he wants to do in our lives. You see here that Joseph was taken down to Egypt and, and we see that, that things are actually not turning out that badly for him. But when we think about these plan A and plan B situations, we need to recognize that it's really a matter of perspective. Uh, from our perspective, the situation oftentimes doesn't look very happy, very nice, that we want something to be a little bit different. But from God's perspective, you know what? In those plan B situations, oftentimes we're right where he wants us because he does have a work to do 
in our lives. And as I said before, Joseph is definitely in a plan B situation here. But we see that this is God's plan A for Joseph. We see here in verse 2 that the Lord is with Joseph. If this wasn't uh, plan A in God's eyes, God would not be working in Joseph's life the way that he is. But we see that God is definitely working in Joseph's life. That Joseph's work as a slave for Potiphar is flourishing. We see that, he, he, you imagine, he probably, Joseph probably started out just as an ordinary slave. I mean, he wouldn't start out with that high degree of responsibility. Probably just an ordinary slave who is faithful to his ordinary responsibilities that were given to him in Potiphar's household. But over time, as Joseph showed himself to be faithful, he began, began to receive more and more responsibility. As he got more responsibility, he continued to be faithful and trustworthy for those responsibilities. And it was very evident to Potiphar and to those around Joseph that God's hand of blessing was upon Joseph. So he was given more and more and more responsibility to the point where Joseph was really the second in command of that household with only Potiphar above him. Joseph was given responsibility for practically everything in Potiphar's household. So we see that God's hand of blessing was definitely on Joseph. We see that even though Joseph was in what would seem to be very undesirable circumstances, away from his family, and away from his homeland, and a foreign place, and slavery, that this plan B, from Joseph's perspective, was plan A from God's perspective. And what we see here is that God was very present with Joseph, that God's presence in these plan B situations really makes all the difference in the world for us. See, it's written several times, the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, down in uh, verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had because of Joseph. Oftentimes when we are in those situations that we're wondering, where is God right now? Why is this working out this way? Why, why can't it be a little bit smoother, a little bit easier? Oftentimes the issue, that, the reason we're having so many challenges is that we are focused on the circumstances rather than on God and what God wants to do in the midst of that circumstance. Again, it's an issue of perspective. But if we can recognize that, you know what? God is right here with me. He will never leave me and never forsake me. He has a plan for what he's doing. That can help us to get through those plan B circumstances in our lives. I think, for instance, of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a passage I go back to a lot when I'm facing difficult circumstances. This is a passage where the Apostle Paul is talking about how he's facing some very significant challenges in his life. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. Scholars don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. Uh, some think it was some sort of eye condition that was embarrassing and humbling for him, that was painful. Others think it was some sort of, just something else. Some, usually it's some physical ailment that he had that caused him great trouble, that sometimes laid him up for weeks on end and, and caused him to depend on another's care. But Paul had some sort of thorn in the flesh. And it says in verse 8 that three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But God said, no, I'm not going to take this away. Instead, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul was basically facing a plan B situation here. Paul didn't want this thorn in the flesh, this ailment that was bringing hardship to him. But God left it there. And the reason he left it was to remind Paul of his grace. Remind Paul that even though Paul is weak, God is strong. Remind Paul that God is right there present with him through whatever hardships he is facing. And so as we are going through hardships in our own lives, it's good to remember that, you know what? God is here. 
And he has a plan that he's going to work out in our lives. So we think about our lives. What is God's plan A for us? As we think about God's plan A, especially amidst the difficult circumstances we're facing, there's a difficult question that we have to consider. Are we willing to accept the fact that God's plan A may be different from our plan A? You see, many times we have that plan A for our lives of how we want things to turn out. But God's plan A is oftentimes different than our plan A. That we may have dreams, we may have desires, but they may not be in line with what God wants to do in our lives. We may recognize that, you know what, God is not ultimately as concerned about our comfort as he is about our character. And, and many times we can't develop the Christ-like character that God wants to have in us. Many times we can't fulfill a mission that he's calling us to unless he helps us to give up our small dreams to embrace his bigger dreams for our life. So we need to ask, are we willing to release those, our plan A and our dreams, surrender those to God so that he can fulfill his dreams through us? You know what? Many times that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard when we face those situations that we're like, I don't want it this way. I want something different. But circumstances dictate that realistically we can't change these things. I can think of many examples in my life. Really, when I think about who I am today and where I am, even here this morning at Freedom's Church sharing from Genesis 39, it's really all because of plan Bs that have come about in my life. Now, that's not to say that I don't like it here. I'm very happy and blessed to be here. But I would never have chosen the path for my life that God has brought me on. It was really through a series of a bunch of different plan Bs of, of me having to release my dreams to God so that then he could put his dreams into my life and help me fulfill the calling that he has for me rather than just fulfilling my dreams. Let me give you an example of this. Um, back when I was dating Shelly, uh, my wife, we've been married for about seven years now, almost seven years. Back when we were dating, I remember we were having a meal at a particular restaurant. I can still remember the table in that restaurant. And she asked me a question that I'd never considered in my life before. She said, Brandon, how many kids do you want to have? I mean, we weren't talking yet about marriage, but it was just kind of one of those questions just to get to know each other a little bit better. She asked me, how many kids do you think you'd want to have in your life? I had never considered that in my life before. And for those of you, especially who are women, who are not married, um, recognize that many times women think about this a lot more than guys. Most guys you'll meet don't think about kids at all until uh, comes that time when their spouse or future spouse asks them that question. Um, my wife shared that she wanted to have a dozen kids. Um, that was news to me. Uh, I, she was putting me on the spot asking me, how many kids do you want to have? The only thing I could come up with was two because that's how many kids were in my family. That's oftentimes what men uh, default to when they think about how many kids they want. I said two. She wanted a dozen. She wanted, she wanted to be a mother from a very young age. Even at age seven or eight, she purchased a full-size stroller uh, by saving up her money from birthdays and Christmases so she could push around other kids that, who live in the neighborhood. Other kids her, had, her age had little strollers. She had a full-size one. <laughs> she wanted to be a mother from a very young age. As we got married, over the next few years, we wanted children, but it wasn't happening. Month after month after month after month after month after month. In the three to four years, we wanted children. Month after month, it wasn't happening. We went to a doctor. The doctor told us, you know what? You have like a 0.01% chance of getting pregnant now after so many months of not having children, so many months of infertility. And 
That was hard. Uh, and I'll say too, it was even hard on our marriage because men and women process these things differently. It was hard for me to understand how come every month we have the same results, but we have to revisit these same hard issues every single month. We keep having the same conversations over and over and over. It was hard. I mean, there were a lot of questions in the midst of this of where is God? How come we want children so badly? Shelley's wanted children since she was a little girl. I want children too. How come God's not giving us children? It seemed like a definite plan B type of situation. But that's when God began to open our eyes to adoption. I don't, I mean, hopefully eventually our eyes would have been open to adoption without that plan B situation of infertility. But God used that to open our eyes to adoption. And he brought us to the point where adoption was not simply a plan B for us. We began to see that adoption was God's plan A for us. And it's to the point where, you know what, we still have some well-meaning people saying, well, maybe eventually you'll be able to have children of your own or biological children. We don't really care about biological children anymore. Because adoption is our plan A, God's plan A, for building our family. And so we're only focused on having children through adoption. And I brought some pictures this morning of the first time we met Micaiah, kind of like in that video earlier. Um, Micaiah has come into our family through adoption. And when I look at the process that God brought us through to bring him into our life, and even of God sustaining his life through severe malnutrition and, and just all those amazing circumstances to bring him into our family, I can't help but see the stamp of God on that plan to bring him home into our family. But we wouldn't have gotten to that point if we had our plan A from the very beginning. We like God's plan A a lot more than ours. It's, it's a lot more amazing than ours. In the midst of it, though, for those three or four years, it stunk. But the reality is God had a better plan. We had to surrender our plan to him. But oftentimes our plan B, which is our infertility, is God's plan A so that he can lead us to where he wants us to go. So that's the first main point, that our plan B is often God's plan A for us. I say often, not always. And, and one of the things we need to recognize is that we can't live recklessly. I think there's a tendency, if we really embrace this idea that our plan B is often God's plan A, there, there's a temptation to want to live however we want to live and think, okay, God has a safety net. He'll, he'll pull me back in. He'll do what he wants to do in my life. I can, I can go off the deep end and do whatever I want. But as we see next in this passage, that's not the way to live. It's important that we resist temptation so that we can follow God's plan A rather than getting into some plan B that he never intended in the first place. I invite you to pick up back in the Bible in verse 6 of Genesis 39 where we see a, temp a major temptation that was put before Joseph that could have pulled him off of God's plan if Joseph gave in. See beginning in the middle of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, 
she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Then his master heard the sto- when his master heard the story from his wife, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So we see here that Joseph, in the midst of, of really flourishing in this plan A that God had for him, which was probably Joseph's plan B, we see that Joseph faced a major temptation. We see that Scripture tells us that he was, he was well-built, he was handsome, he was given a lot of responsibility, a lot of freedom around the household, and Potiphar's wife took notice of him. Potiphar's wife said, come to bed with me. Now, you think, think about what it would be like to be a young man, as Joseph was, a single guy, um, and, and a seductive woman is coming to him and saying, come to bed with me. Imagine what that would be like from Joseph's perspective. But look at what Joseph did. He immediately refused and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he made it a point to even try to stay out of her presence, even though every day she was trying to come to him and saying, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Joseph said no. He refused to. One day, Joseph was in the house. For some reason or another, there were no other servants in the household that day. I tend to think that perhaps Potiphar's wife sent them all away so that she could have her special moment with Joseph. She grabbed Joseph by the cloak and said, come with me. Joseph said no. He ran away, but as he ran away, Potiphar's wife had a hold of his cloak. Now, Potiphar's wife was mad. Um, I've heard it said by a poet, uh, William Cosgrave, back in the 1700s. He said, heaven has no rage like a love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. And this woman was mad. She'd wanted Joseph for so long, and she could not have him. He refused. He ran away. And so that love or that lust that she had for Joseph was suddenly turned into hatred. And she turned on him. She, she made up a story about him, even though he had tried to run away. She made up the story about him, about how he had come to her to make sport of her. And then Joseph was thrown into prison. You know, my heart really goes out to Joseph here because I would think, you know what, God? If ever there was a time you would, you would reward a person for their faithfulness to you and for standing up to, to temptation, it seems like this would be the time. But instead... Joseph gets thrown into prison. Seems like another plan B situation. But as, we, as we'll see in a few moments, that was still good, part of God's plan A, even though it didn't make sense from a human perspective when we want rewards for our faithfulness to God. So we see that Joseph stood up to temptation. And I want to think about our temptations that we face in life because we all face temptations to turn against God in various ways. Our temptations may be similar to Joseph's in terms of sensual temptations, or they may be different. I'll say sensual temptations in today's culture are huge. I worked in campus ministry for a number of years uh, before I went to seminary, and I was shocked to find that practically every college guy I'd ever met and talked with about these matters had some sort of struggles with, with inappropriate things on the Internet they shouldn't be engaging with. Almost every college guy 
Sensual temptations are everywhere around us in today's culture. So those are a big thing that can pull us away from God. Uh, there are material temptations uh, making us want this or that, want this better car, want this better house, want this new technology. And we can really bow down and worship those rather than worshiping God. There are personal temptations of wanting others to think better of us than we really are, of wanting to look good in other people's eyes, or wanting power or fame. And this personal temptation can lead us to do things that pull us away from God. There are either other, even other types of temptations that I call disappointing temptations, where we face disappointments in life, these plan B circumstances, and they make us think, oh, woe is me. God doesn't really care about me. And these disappointing temptations can cause us really just to go on cruise control with God, to give up, to, to not give our circumstances or give God everything that we have. We live half-heartedly because of those discouraging temptations. But I want to look at Joseph's response back here in this passage when he was faced with the temptation. It says emphatically that Joseph refused. It says again that he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her in verse 10. He refused. He had drawn a line and said, I'm not going to cross that line. There are some things I have a freedom to do. This, going to bed with my master's wife, is not one of them. I think that's an important call for us to recognize those areas where we might be tempted and to draw a line before we face that temptation and say, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm not going to cross that line because that would dishonor God and it would hurt those around me. So we need to be like Joseph and simply refuse to give in to temptation. And to do that, we have to draw that line and say, you know what, I'm not crossing that line. It's also important that we watch out for those little temptations because when you see someone give in to some big sin, whether it's, um, whether it's an affair, whether it's embezzling money or tax fraud or any other number of big sins, it's not like someone woke up one day and said, okay, I'm going to have an affair today. I'm going to embezzle money today. It's usually a small, a series of small temptations that grows bigger and bigger and bigger. People give in to small things that seem pretty tame, and it grows and grows and grows. And that's what leads people to those major things that completely disrupt their life. So we need to watch out for those little temptations that come along and refuse any sort of temptation that comes. But along the way, we'll probably recognize, you know what, there are those times we give in to temptations. What if we have sometime in the past given in some big temptation that's really wrecked things for us? We need to remember that there's still grace from God. The gospel still applies to all of us. The good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and to redeem us and to give us a new start, a new plan A, even when it seems like we've blown it. So the first main point we need to apply is to remember that our plan B is oftentimes God's plan A for us. Second thing is that we can miss God's plan A by giving into temptation. And finally, we need to remember that God's plan A is that we follow him wholeheartedly regardless of the circumstances. I'll close out this passage here and, and seeing that, that, that Joseph is continuing to follow God even while he's in prison. It says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So we see that once again, Joseph is in what could be termed a plan B situation. But it's God's plan A to fulfill 
God's calling in Joseph's life. So again, God's plan A for us, regardless of our circumstances, is that we will be completely faithful to him. Even if we don't like our circumstances, even if we're in prison like Joseph was, even if we are enslaved like Joseph was, even if we're facing some dream that's crashed down, God's call to us is to be faithful to him, whatever happens. Last week I referred to a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. And she's a woman who, if anyone's ever faced a plan B in their life, it would seem like Johnny Erickson Tata has. Because at age 17, which was about, what, 40 years ago or so, Johnny Erickson Tata was a vibrant young woman, but she had a diving accident and she became a quadriplegic, meaning paralyzed from the neck down. She was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She, she was in deep depression for a number of months, even contemplating suicide, wondering, how can my life go on? I mean, it was one of those seemingly ultimate plan B situations. But then she began to realize that, you know what? God can still work in my life. There's still hope. And a number of years ago, she's in her early 60s now, still alive, well, um, writing books, uh, speaking at conferences, inspiring a lot of people to grow in their walk with God. A number of years ago, as she was speaking at a conference, she had a question and answer time after she spoke. And one of the people in the audience asked her, Johnny, how can you keep going despite all of your physical challenges and the disappointments that you had in your life? I mean, how can you keep writing and leading and speaking and other things as you're facing all these challenges? Now listen to her response here. She said, this is the only time in history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I am actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode in my glorified body in a whole different set of circumstances. But this is my limited window of opportunity, and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. You see, Johnny Erickson Tata faced a plan B type of situation that, that would cause anyone to reel, would cause anyone to doubt, where is God in the midst of this? Why am I in these circumstances? But she said, you know what? I only live one life. What life am I waiting for? This is the only one I have. This is a time when God has me in the battle. He has me on the playing field. And I want to give it everything I have. My life may be turning out differently than I would have planned, but I'm still going to give it all I have. That's God's call to us as well. Because you know what? Our circumstances may not be the way we want them to be. But our call is to be faithful to God, to give it everything we have, to fight the battle for, with all we have, and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I may not like these circumstances, but I trust that you have a plan. That even though it might be my plan B, it's your plan A. And I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to see what you're going to do. God, I trust you. That's the call to each one of us in our plan B situations to say, you know what? I don't know exactly what God's doing, but I trust that he's doing something, and I'm going to follow him. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I thank you that you are faithful that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that whatever circumstances we're facing in our lives, that you are faithful and that we can find you there. Thank you that your grace is always sufficient for us, that your power is made perfect in weakness. And Lord, for each one of us, I know that each one of us are going through various sets of difficult circumstances. And I pray that you will help us to find you right where we are and that you will help us to have the strength and the grace to be faithful to you in whatever we are facing so that in the end we will see that you knew what you were doing and that you will get the honor and glory and that we will 
emulate Joseph or Johnny Erickson Tata in terms of following you even when we're in a plan B situation. May you show your grace and mercy to each one of us in our plan Bs in Jesus' name. Amen.